this morning we turn to the Bible. Our last in the series on Haggai. And this little book opens up significant themes about God and his relationship with his people originally in 520 BC. But these things have implications for us in 2015. Last week we saw that the people eagerly resumed work on the ruined temple and Haggai's second message assured the people that God was with them. We saw that in the Old Testament God was present in the temple but in the New Testament God would be present in his people and for us building the temple really means building our relationship with God because we are the temple in whom God the Holy Spirit dwells. God gave Haggai a brief but far-reaching glimpse of the future and revealed something of his plan for the world and its people. And this morning we come to look at the last two messages. It's page 938 in the Bibles that are in the seat rack in front of you. But first let us pray again this prayer together. Please pray with me. Father, as we come together round your holy word, may our minds and hearts be open and your voice be heard. May the Holy Spirit guide us to the truth, we pray, and help us to respond with gladness, trust you and obey. Amen. Chapter 2, beginning at verse 10, is Haggai's third message. And it opens up with some verses that deal with a painful truth. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. Now this message came two months after the previous one and it concerned legal issues that were addressed to the priests for their decision. Now under the law of Moses there were some articles and people who were accepted as clean or consecrated or holy and then there were others that were not. And behind this issue was the commandment spoken several times by God, be holy because I am holy. Now it raised a question for these people. How could wayward people in Haggai's time become holy like God? We move on to verse 12. If a person carries consecrated meat in the fold of his garment and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, oil or other food, does it become consecrated? The priests answered, no. 
Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priests replied, it becomes defiled. Now the intention of verse 12 is to make plain that articles or people that were consecrated, clean or holy cannot transfer that holiness to other things or people that are unclean or unholy. Holiness is not passed on from one to another in that kind of way. Now by contrast, the intention in verse 13 is to make plain that things or people that were unclean or unholy did transfer that unholiness to others. In fact, unholiness can spread like a contagious disease. Now that principle is now applied to these people. Verse 14... Then Haggai said, So it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer is defiled. Now we've seen that these uh, returning exiles had drifted from God's ways. They were not consecrated to God and therefore they were unholy. And that meant that their work would make the temple now unclean because unholiness spreads. Now that's the painful truth of these opening verses. How could God ever be present among unholy people in an unholy temple? It presented a problem and we have to wait for an answer. Now we move on to verses 15 to 17 and and a humbling uh, reality associated with this. Verse 15, Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. That is, before you began your work. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew and hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. Now verse 15 tells us again, they were to give careful thought to this matter. They were to think back to those recent days, the days when things were tough because of the drought and the economic pressures that came. We read about them in chapter 1. God reminded them that he had caused these hardships because of their disobedience. But in verse 17, they did not turn back to him immediately. It would be very humbling for them to admit that they had been self-centred, short-sighted, 
slow-minded and hard-hearted. But such admission is the way to blessing. We move on to verses 18 and 19. God is speaking and he says, From this day on, from this 24th day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundations of the Lord's temple were laid. Give careful thought. Is there any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree, the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. But from this day on, I will bless you. Now, resuming work on the temple did mark a new beginning. It took time, but after careful thought, they had put things right with God. But now, did they have any seed left to plant? No. Had the fruit trees failed? Yes. So things actually looked grim. But here God says to them, I will bless you. We recall that unchanging principle that we've mentioned previous times. Obedience leads to blessing. But there was an important lesson in these opening verses of message 3. God had promised previously to be with them. Now he adds that he will bless them. But now here is the important point. While their obedience was essential, it was not their work that earned the blessing. God blessed them with good harvests but there was more. The thrust of this message from God is this, that God also blessed them by accepting them and the temple on which they worked as being holy. Now holiness was then and continues to be a work of God's grace for us and in us. It has nothing to do with what we do. He gives what we do not deserve and that leaves no room for any human pride. And so here is the answer to that problem of verse 14. It is God who blesses us by counting us holy. We move on to Haggai's fourth message, the remaining verses of the little book. By way of introduction, the word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the ninth month. Tell Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, that I will shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and shatter the power of the foreign kingdoms. I will overthrow chariots and their drivers. Horses and their riders will fall, each 
by the sword of his brother. Now we see in verse 20 that this little message came on the same day as the one we've just considered. But this time it's not to the priests. It is to a single person, Zerubbabel, a descendant of David. Now earlier in chapter 2, God had spoken of shaking the heavens and the earth and we explored that a little bit. And here in verses 21 and 22, that message is repeated and expanded. Not only heaven and earth, but now kings and kingdoms would be caught up in conflict and upheaval. Now at the start of the series we pointed out that a group of nations in what we know as the Middle East grappled with problems of war, violence, refugees and religious tension often motivated by self-interest. Those same issues still trouble us but now on a global scale and even God's people can be sidetracked by self-centredness as happened way back in 520 BC. Our determination to put ourselves first, even in the place of God, will ultimately cause the Lord Almighty to dramatically intervene against all who oppose and disobey him, however great they may be and however powerful their armies. But see this, on that day, the day when those almost unimaginable things happen, on that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will take you, my servant Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and I will make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord Almighty. Now here we see that God will remember, even in those times of great conflict and upheaval, each individual who is faithful. And Zerubbabel here is singled out by name. A signet ring bore a distinct embossed pattern. It could be used to stamp or seal official documents giving the authority of the owner of that ring. And this verse expresses the honour granted to Zerubbabel that his work counted and it bore the authority of God. He had led his people to trust and obey God and so he had served God faithfully. And it's interesting to see that he, Zerubbabel, is actually listed in the genealogy of Jesus given in Matthew's Gospel. But we might just wonder about Joshua at this point because he was consistently linked with Zerubbabel as a joint leader. We don't find any more about him in Haggai but we do find something of him in the next book in the Old Testament, the book of Zechariah. He wrote about similar events 
And in his chapter 6 he mentions that Joshua was honoured with a crown. And God said of him, Here is the man whose name is the branch. He will build the temple of the Lord. We see that God honours and rewards all who are faithful. Now that little phrase on that day or in that day is used 107 times in the Old Testament prophetic books. It usually refers to that future day when Jesus returns to complete God's plan for the world and its people. Haggai had seen a brief but absorbing long-range view of that plan. But something that was not clear to Haggai in 520 BC but has been made clearer for us in the New Testament is the two-stage nature of the coming of Jesus to the world. Stage one was his humble coming to Bethlehem to be the saviour of the world. Stage two is his coming in glory on that day to be king. That day is unknown to us. And hence the words of Jesus we mentioned last week that we need to be ready. And so the little book ends with these three words The Lord Almighty. That's Haggai's favourite title for God. And while the theme is the rebuilding of the temple the dominant character in the story is the Lord Almighty. Just in case you were thinking you were getting out early, we're going to review a few things from the series as a whole. Now firstly, God may allow tough times to come in order to get our attention and to encourage us to maintain a right relationship with him, that is, build or repair our temple. Secondly, God's pattern was to use a faithful teacher, Haggai, to instruct committed leaders, Zerubbabel and Joshua, to guide God's people to obedient service. Now this pattern is often found in scripture and it's a model for congregations today for fulfilling God's purposes for them. And we would do well to give careful thought to these issues as we prepare for another year of work and witness. Now thirdly, our concept of the temple develops over time. In Haggai's day, the temple was where God was present with his people. That's why they had to rebuild it. When Jesus came and spoke of his body as the temple, God was physically present among his people. 
And then after Pentecost, those who believe are God's temple and through the Holy Spirit, God is present in his people. Now all of this is part of God's ongoing plan for the world. This little book reminds us that while security from terrorism, problems from poverty, the effects of climate change are real and complex challenges for us. The crucial issue beyond all of these is our relationship with God. The prophets look for a brighter future in the coming of the Messiah. For all who abandon self-centredness and trust and obey God, the best is yet to come. Point number five. Haggai was a prophet who spoke God's words. Joshua was a priest and Zerubbabel was of kingly descent. Through them God assured his people that he would be with them through the turmoil. He would bless them as they trusted and obeyed him in challenging times. Yet these men portray for us characteristics of the Lord Jesus whom we have remembered this morning. He is our prophet, our priest and our king. He's the living word of God who came to us. He intercedes in heaven for us as our great high priest. He is the coming king who will present the completed kingdom to God on that day. As we wait for that day when he returns, much will be shaken that may surprise and alarm us. Yet all who give careful thought and trust and obey God will find safety in his presence in the home that Jesus has prepared to the eternal praise of God, the Lord Almighty. And so for us in this day, just one final step remains for God's plan to be completed. May God help us to respond positively to the word that he brings us so that we are ready for his appearing. Let us pray. Father, we live in uncertain and disturbing days, in times when self-centredness and apathy concerning you and your ways can draw us away from our faith. Help us to give careful thought to our ways and to go on trusting and obeying you. Give us those who can teach us your word, leaders who can guide and encourage us, Help us to be sensitive to your spirit who lives in us and grant us grace that together we might contribute positively to the building of your kingdom as we wait for that day 
when our Lord returns. Now to him who is able to keep us from falling and who will present us before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy to the only God, the Lord Almighty, be glory now and for evermore. Amen.